Next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracle's Nano Emulsion CBD formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the cannabis reporter, Snowden Bishop. Welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and I'm grateful you've joined us today. If you were with us last week, I want to say thank you for indulging me the opportunity to talk about a topic as serious as the suicide epidemic. There seems to be a spiral of shocking events swirling around in news cycles these days, and I can't help but feel as though American leadership has lost a moral compass, or at the very least has been desensitized to the barrage of shocking news that we have come to accept as a normal. As a member of the media, I feel it's important not to ignore our societal misgivings as uh, doing so would only really perpetuate the denial and in a way give it credence. But that said, I also feel as though good news or stories that inspire us to do better as a society don't get enough coverage. One of the reasons I love talking about the cannabis movement is that it was born from compassion. Every day we learn about more miracles taking place and ways in which cannabis, whether industrial hemp or medical marijuana or even adult use cannabis offers healing. And I'm not just talking about medical science, although we know it's critically important to human health, body, mind and soul, but for also the environmental and economic benefits. The health of our nation depends upon it not to mention the improvement cannabis can bring to society at large. Cannabis is a compassionate plant and compassion is what has propelled the movement to reverse prohibition and pave the way for our healthier, more sustainable and prosperous future. That's the topic of today's show and we have a familiar guest. He's an ER attending physician who's also board certified in wound care before becoming a true pioneer in the field of medical marijuana. He's principal of Compassionate Certification Centers, which now has a half a dozen clinics with more on the way. You know him best as the host of our Medical Marijuana Minute, and I am thrilled to say Dr. Brian Donner is in the house. Welcome back. <laughs> oh, hi, Snowden. Thanks for, thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure, and I'm glad we have a chance to talk again. Oh, me too. So I just have to say, I was out at the World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo in April, and 
kudos to all of you for such a job well done. I mean, that was an amazing conference, amazing speakers. We had a lot of fun. So congratulations. Well, thanks so much. We, uh, it was the second year that we did it and it was great. It was even better than, than the year prior. We had more attendees, more patients, more researchers, more doctors, uh, really just everybody from the industry. And uh, I think it went off very well. And, and the timing with Pennsylvania's medical marijuana program was great. So thanks for the uh, positive feedback. Oh, yeah. Well, I, we had a great time and we met a lot of amazing people. And I think that it has grown so much. And in this year, I noticed that there were just a lot more, a lot more speakers, a lot more exhibitors, and definitely well worth the trip out to Pennsylvania. So <laughs> thank you for that. I was really eager to touch bases with you because I wanted to hear what was going on with all of the clinics and kind of delve into, you know, some of the good news that's happening in Pennsylvania, because I think that from all outward appearances, it seems as though they're doing things right in Pennsylvania. And I think that it could be instructive for a lot of the states that are now uh, regulation. Sure. Well, and it's been really uh, a great experience from, from a, a standpoint in Pennsylvania. Um, we started seeing patients, at least our organization, really at the end of 2017 in, in December. Um, and since that time, there's there's been about 25,000 patients that have been certified uh, for medical cannabis in Pennsylvania. So when, when you look at other states, um, you know, for example, Illinois, it took them almost three years to, to, to reach that number. So it's been a tremendous response. There's been over 500 physicians that, that are listed on the, on the state registry. Um, so it's really, really taken off. And, and the, uh, the advisory board in Pennsylvania just added some additional conditions, one of which was uh, opiate addiction therapy, which is really, really a big step in, in the medical cannabis industry. And we hope that it'll be a role model for, for other states. And uh, during the time we've been trying to expand and open our, our compassionate certification centers in order to, to keep up with uh, demand. And we've had an unbelievable patient response um, that people have just been uh, very hopeful, very happy. And some of the responses we've seen uh, with folks in their treatment plan has been tremendous. You know, we've talked a lot about opiate addiction lately because it has reached this threshold of epidemic in this country. And it really is quite astonishing to me. Every doctor that we talk to about opiate addiction and cannabis, there's a consensus there that this is an exit drug and it's so important for people to begin to understand that, especially from the treatment center perspective, because often, you know, if they're testing people for THC in their system, there's this really negative feedback loop that's happening. Have you found that people are becoming more open to the idea that cannabis is an exit drug? I would say yes. I, I have seen that, particularly uh, clinicians. And, and, and to be honest, uh, part of my opinion about the Snowden is the fact that the, the opiate epidemic in, in our country has reached uh, critical uh, proportions. Um, and really, it wasn't getting uh, any better despite our, our, our best shot at, at intervention. So when you have medical cannabis as an alternative, uh, treatment option, uh, I think it does really open people's eyes. And, and medical cannabis has the ability to do a few things when you're talking about opiate addiction or a potential substitution or exit therapy. I think number one, it has the ability to to treat people's symptoms of withdrawal so that it can make the, the, the process of opiate withdrawal more tolerable for patients. Uh, symptoms such as 
nausea, anxiety, abdominal pain, cramping, diarrhea, all these things can be lessened whenever you um, integrate a medical cannabis uh, regimen. I think there's, there's research now being done, and really what we hope as well is that potentially medical cannabis can, can help act on the psychological addiction portion of that as well. So um, should that be the case and the research turn out to be as we hope, you really have an ideal treatment plan in that not only can you treat the actual symptoms, but you can go to the, the, the root cause of the problem. Um, which then brings us to, to could this potentially be beneficial for, for other substance abuse or addiction type issues such as uh, alcoholism uh, or whatever it may be. So it's a, it's a tremendous step in the right direction um, when we're talking about both the opiate crisis as well as medical cannabis in our country and, and being a native of Pennsylvania. I am obviously very proud that, that, that it seems that our state is, is starting to lead the way from that end. Yeah, and you, I've quoted you a number of times um, saying that as an ER physician, there is not a day that goes by where you don't see someone coming in for an opiate overdose. It, do you think that's getting better or is it still pretty much the case? Uh, I'll be honest with you. In, in, in my experience, things haven't changed dramatically uh, yet. Uh, I mean, I think I could uh, feel very comfortable in saying that still, that I couldn't go throughout a shift uh, without seeing one at least issue with regard to opiate uh, addiction or, or overdose or withdrawal. Um, I think that, that the potential's there, but um, for us to be able to sort of integrate things on a large scale on a national basis, I don't think necessarily that's been done yet. And uh, unfortunately, it's largely to it's affecting some of our younger populations. So um, the, you see really young adults that uh, are unfortunately losing their lives and it's affecting their families' lives. So I haven't seen much of a difference yet, but uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I think Pennsylvania, as I said, will be on the front line to see how this really plays off and if medical cannabis does have as much of a positive benefit on, on the opiate situation as we think it will. Well, certainly as more and more doctors become familiar with the utility of cannabis for treating pain, and I mean, and I know that that's something that you know a lot about as well, but it just seems like a, a much gentler way to address some chronic pain issues. And I mean, from what I've read, you know, obviously it's working for a lot of patients and then preventing that whole opiate addiction in the first place. What do you think? I think that's that's absolutely correct. You know, there there has been some studies out there and there's been research to show that that, that cannabis can be a very effective treatment, particularly in, in chronic intractable or neuropathic pain. Um, I just saw a recent study over done in Europe uh, that had about 3,000 patients enrolled for a wide uh, age varieties that showed uh, medical cannabis had a much greater therapeutic effect on controlling pain than opiates. Patients who were on medical cannabis required a lower dose at a less frequent interval of opiates, and that the, uh, that medical cannabis was actually much safer, particularly in the elderly patients, uh, than opiates. So when you look at the, the literature out there that we have both that fails to show the adequacy of, of opiates controlling chronic pain, and then some of the more recent literature showing the, the support of medical marijuana controlling chronic pain as an alternative treatment plan, I think it's an ideal situation. And as you said, if we can now integrate that into our healthcare plan that patients never, never are started on the opiates um, or they don't need that type of medication, then that's the, that's the biggest win for all of us. 
that's probably right on the money. I mean, it's a matter of convincing physicians that this is a great alternative. And in Pennsylvania, are you seeing that your colleagues in the profession are getting a lot more open to it? I would say yes. I think that my colleagues and peers in general have become much more open to to medical marijuana. There's no question about that when you see the response even compared to where it was a, a year ago. Um, I think the, the medical cannabis as a treatment for opiate addiction or a substitution therapy is one of the things that uh, um, physicians are still trying to grasp, right? I think the general consensus when you look at this from the outside in is that you're, that you're uh, robbing Peter to feed Paul, as the saying goes, or that you're trading uh, one substance for another. I think, in fact, when you actually look at the, uh, the science and the physiology behind how those two different classes of, of medications work, I think you can see that that's not really true. So it goes back to, to something that you and I have discussed uh, on, a, on a number of occasions, Snowden, which is, which is education, right? Um, and, and I think one of the ways that gets done is through, is through research. So um, again, I think, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, they, they've built in a, a really robust uh, research program into their medical marijuana regulations. And I think that we can use those type of tools to, to support our ideas and hypotheses and then give that feedback back to clinicians and patients alike so that they can understand that there is real real scientific support behind this. You know, one of the reasons that the word compassion came to mind, you know, it seems as laws go with new states that are regulating, Pennsylvania has absolutely been a lot more compassionate in terms of the way that they've approached, like the qualifying conditions and and it seems that a lot of people could actually learn from that. You know, it's just compassion really is at the core of the movement, obviously, because we're trying to find a gentler way to to treat people with with chronic conditions. And you know, in terms of the harshness of the drug itself, it's really low on that scale of of danger to the human body and it's like treating the body with kid gloves instead i'm just curious how you feel about that yeah absolutely i i think it's on your first point to talk about you know the word compassion and how it's integrated into, into medical cannabis and it's I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's one of the things that's often, you know, overlooked when you look way back uh, at the beginning of some of this in the uh, the title of the Compassionate Care Act. And and when you look at uh, medical cannabis and in particular in our country, it was the thing that's always very profound to me is that it was a patient initiated movement, right? That these are these are generally speaking disease processes or entities that 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 us as healthcare providers, the healthcare system haven't had good treatments for our treatments were either ineffective or as you were you were alluding to uh, toxic right so so patients um, the medical cannabis movement was really initiated by the patients themselves rather than than big pharma or doctors or researchers I think it was born out of that out of that need for compassion and out of the need to to, to find alternative treatments where they where they don't otherwise uh, exist so uh, and I think for you know for us when we integrated the name into into our our centers, it was very very important because that's really what this whole movement is is based upon. And 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 when you keep that idea in mind, um, it can help really sort of right the ship or or guide guide your path as 
as they say. So um, I'm, you know, personally, uh, it's it, it's a very meaningful work to me. I think uh, you see it very frequently in the cannabis industry, and I think it's for for, for good reason. Um, and I think it's a, a really the the true nature of its term, compassion, and it fits in perfectly with medical cannabis therapy and and what we're going for with our with our patients. And also, you know, on a federal level too. It, it seems that if we can convince the people who are in position to pass the legislation that's been pending for years, <laughs> the Compassionate uh, Care Act, for example, you know, the federal legislation or the Carers Act, you know, which, which has compassion in its definition. I wish that there was a way that we could convince lawmakers on that level that the dangers to not passing cannabis legislation are greater than the dangers of passing it. And they need to hear from medical professionals like yourself. What would you say to them? I, well, first of all, I, th- I want to agree with you that uh, I, you know, I wish it would be one of my my, my great wishes that that we could, co- you know, convince some of the naysayers right now uh, about this. But whenever, you know, whenever I talk to people with regard to trying to, to to convince them, to me, this always comes down to some of the science that that we have. And and as you said, the the plain and simple truth with regard to medical cannabis therapy is this: that it can be very effective in treating certain ailments that that we have just really scratched the surface of. And on top of that, it is a very, very um, benign medical treatment. Um, uh, When you look at it, as you had mentioned, um, the the adverse effects, the toxicities, um, they they pale in comparison to to traditional medications, even the -the over-the-counter medications that we have. Um, you know, I've always been, uh, I'll never forget at our convention, uh, you know, Dr. Cyril Wecht, who's one of the the, the most uh, world famous forensic pathologists, said that in the tens of thousands of autopsies he's ever done, never once has acute cannabinoid toxicity been listed as a uh, cause of death. So when you have a medication like this that doesn't have a lethal dose, um, um, there's technically you don't need an antidote. There's no overdoses. Um, it's processed through the liver. Really, all of these things that show a safety profile that is, is unheralded. So when you take that in conjunction with a treatment plan that can be effective for people, uh, to me, that's, that, that's very convincing. Unfortunately, uh, I, I think some of the, the, the powers that be and the driving forces behind uh, legislation and regulations particularly on a on a federal level um, uh, potentially have other reasons in mind with re- with regard to this that uh, I don't think it's all driven with regard to to patient care and patient access um, so really what, what I would say to them when I had the chance would be just to show them just to show them that what's happened in our country when you look at over the past god whatever it may be five six uh, however many years the the spread of medical cannabis across our country the the overwhelming positive response uh, and the numbers of lives that it's changed in a positive way i think that speaks for themselves and at some point uh, legislators and regulators are going to be uh, have their hands forced by the by the amount of people that are really supporting medical cannabis well, if you you touched on this and you didn't actually say it, and I'm not afraid to to say it, and that is that there is an enormous lobby of the pharmaceutical industry that is paying for campaigns, 
And if the goal is to get elected, ultimately with the, de the public demand, that's going to outweigh whatever campaign finance they're going to get from a pharmaceutical company to keep suppressing this law. And on the, the side of the Justice Department, I'm, it's very confusing to me as to why there's not more openness to this and why they're fighting so diligently to, to keep control over cannabis in Schedule 1, because clearly it is, it's there for false reasons. I mean, Schedule 1 was put there for a reason. It's for drugs that have absolutely zero medical utility and a very high potential for abuse and that kills people or causes a criminal element that is just out of control. So when you look at that, it just feels as though there's absolutely no reasoning for perpetuating the falsehood about cannabis. And it's a wish of mine that they would just get out of the way as well, because they do not have elections to worry about. They are appointed officials. And if you were to sit down in a room, let's say, with, with Attorney General Jeff Sessions, what would be the first thing you'd say to him? Sure. I, I think the first thing I would say to him in that situation would be, tell me why you don't support this. So, uh, you know, because to me, that's what I would want to know, that I would want to hear the reasons directly why they don't support this and then uh, really address those um, head on would be, you know, so that rather than, than me trying to, I guess, uh, um, push my agenda per se, maybe to address somebody else's, um, what they see as the shortcomings on this, that would be really the way uh, that I would approach this, you know, and, and, and Snowden, I agree with you with regard to sort of the, the political currents and uh, the socioeconomic currents behind, behind all this. Um, uh, you know, the scheduling of, uh, of marijuana, in, in my opinion, is criminal uh, where it is now, uh, particularly whenever you, you think that uh, uh, there's medications uh, that, that, that big pharma produces, such as Marinol, that's a hundred that's percent synthetic THC, that's, that's a schedule three drug. But yet the, the, the naturally occurring compounds, which are, are, are by, by default, uh, much more benign are listed as Schedule 1. So it really doesn't make logical sense whenever you look at it and think about it. Um, but I guess really what I approach it with people, whether it's Jeff Sessions or one of my other peers or even one of my patients, is that what, what are your concerns? What are your fears? Why do you feel differently than I do about this? And then I try to, to address those uh, as much as I can head on and on an individual basis. I think that's really smart because often in this movement, I think one of the things that that turned the mainstream off to it initially was the amount of uh, criticism coming from a movement. I mean, look at look at the vegan movement. And I was vegan 15 years and I know that passion that goes behind it. And I think that I can talk about myself in that regard, because when I first became vegan, I was hypercritical of those who didn't embrace it. And I know that the way I approach the subject would sort of turn people off to it, off to listening to it. And I think that your idea to actually have a discussion with someone and, and embrace their fears and address those one at a time, you're basically inviting them in a way that's law of attraction as opposed to, you know, like you're forcing an agenda. 
Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And I think it sometimes can be very effective when you do that, because, because as you said, you're, you're, you're coming of a, you're coming from a, a position at that point of, of support. Um, and you're really not trying to push an agenda on somebody. Rather, you're trying to, to help them understand, you know, the facts that they have. And, but, you know, the bottom line, I've seen numbers up to 89% of all Americans support medical cannabis. So the, the bottom line and, and the truth is that most of our, our fellow countrymen and women absolutely support uh, medical cannabis. And that has become the majority, right? And, and as the days and months and years tick by, you see that even more and more and more. And it's getting to the point now, even politicians that you have seen that, that folks that maybe before were completely on one side, now all of a sudden have, have changed their tune. When you start to see that, I think you're going to start to see big, big changes in the system. And usually when it happens, it happens rapidly too. Um, so you know, I'm personally pretty, pretty encouraged by, by where we are compared to where we were a few years ago and in the direction it looks like we're heading for the most part. Well, we saw that recently too when Mitch McConnell came out and he's, he's always been sort of a fan of, of hemp being from Kentucky, but to also see like former speaker John Boehner come forth and say that he believes that we need to do something about it. And I think it is encouraging people to take a fresh look at it, definitely. And I find that very, very promising. And I think starting with hemp is a really good thing. But, you know, every time I see the step forward, I see another monkey wrench go into it. Like, for example, Senator Grassley proposed some amendments to the hemp bill that basically prohibited anyone from using hemp for anything that would extract its, its resins, oils, salts, anything. So that would basically render, the, it, it would be like, why grow hemp if you can't use it for biofuel or use its salts for making, uh, or resins for making plastics or um, making paper <laughs> or making medicine <laughs> or food. You know, it's like, okay, well, if you, if you define hemp as being just a plant without any of those things that you can take from it, why bother? You know, and it, it just seems like such a ridiculous um, exercise in futility. If you're going to pass a hemp law, don't, don't make all of its parts illegal or keep them in schedule one because you know then why would a farmer grow hemp if he couldn't sell it to use for industry <laughs> yeah like absolutely i i couldn't agree more and it seems sort of silly to me and particularly you know what what something like that does is that it, it really bites the hand that, that feeds you so you know, and by your intentions of uh, of taking the, some of the the can that you get the exposure to the cannabinoids out of this, you're you're limiting things on on, on different ends that you never even considered. I, I think your analogy with regard to the, the the biofuels and things like that is is spot on. That it sometimes can be the law of unintended consequences as well, right? So I, I think people need to be be very careful about what they're they're asking for. And I think the people who who write this legislation and and these regulations, um, they need to have a better understanding, right? They, they really need to have an understanding of, of the cannabis industry as a whole, how cannabis can be used medicinally and then outside of that uh, as well, because it's not, it, this isn't just a black and white or cut and dry uh, situation. There are, there are numerous, numerous uses, particularly for, for hemp, uh, even outside the, the, the medicinal realm um, that, that shouldn't be limited either. 
Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about compassion, and if you just look at hemp and look at that hemp legislation, it's not just compassion in the medical sense. It's compassion in enabling the U.S. farmer to get out from under the thumb of Monsanto, for example, and that, that merry-go-round of Roundup, and having to use all of these chemicals just to make a seed bloom hemp doesn't need all of that stuff to grow, you know, and it's, it, 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 the compassion is for, you know, anybody who wants to have a fresh economic advantage presented to them. And hemp has so much potential for that as well. And it's, I just think that in this country, we need to start embracing that compassionate way of looking at these laws. And I really have such an admiration for people who took the risk early on, even when there was still more stigma associated with it, you know, and, and Brian, that's why I just, I love what you've done in Pennsylvania, because in terms of that state, you truly are a pioneer. And I, I think that you were one of the first ones out of the gate to offer uh, certification clinics and to start educating people and coming from that emergency room medicine and you were a doctor's doctor <laughs> in there <laughs> in in that way and i think that for medical professionals who did take that early leap even embracing the subject before it became legal in their state you know really deserves some kudos so kudos <laughs> well well thank you I, I i greatly appreciate that it's it's always nice to hear it was there was times when it's been uh, very difficult um, there's times when when it's still still difficult for me um, that the, you know that you deal with some some repercussions and some feedback, but uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind that this is the right thing to do, and and I see every day in our clinics when I when I see these patients that that people come in and and this is giving them hope where hope was otherwise taken away, um, and I think that 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 concept and that idea fits right in with that word compassion that that, that you and I have been talking about. Um, so much that, and I've had some of our doctors, uh, you know, one, one of our physicians, uh, a great friend of mine who's worked, worked with me in the emergency department for probably about six years. Uh, you know, when I asked him about this over a year, year and a half ago, he, he really wasn't interested and he um, sort of looked at me funny and as time went by and he started to see some of these results himself, he started to see uh, he had a family member that responded well. He, he came to be more open. He now, he now works with us and, and sees and certifies patients and, and helps take care of their treatment plan. And I'll, I'll never forget that after his first shift, uh, what, he come to, what he said to me was, he said, Brian, I, he's like, I never realized how, how much hope this is giving these patients and how much they, they, they really need and, and deserve and it's so true. And I, I see it every day. And I think as more people see that with their own two eyes or, or their brother, sister, mother, father, uh, friend has an experience with that and shares it, the more ground, every, every step like that forward we take. And you're seeing it happen so, so much more. So it's really, uh, it's really a neat thing. And, and, and I'm, I'm just really excited to be able to be a part of it in the ground level and then try to help guide policy and, and regulations and um, really set the tone for, for medical marijuana in the future and for our kids. It really is offering so much promise for the future, you're right, and promise for patients. I can't tell you how many people I meet who say, oh, I had stage four cancer or, you know, I couldn't walk. 
I met a guy here in Arizona recently who had been uh, bitten by a Gila monster. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Gila monster, but it's, it's um, poison. When, when you're bitten by a Gila monster, it's like a neurotoxin and mm -hmm. it has permanent effects. And he said that before someone introduced him to cannabis, he couldn't walk and it debilitated him so much that, you know, he was on permanent disability and today he's working. And he said that before cannabis, he had absolutely zero hope. I mean, they were giving him drugs like you can't imagine. He was on, you know, 20 pills a day, different pills for different things, you know, for, for anxiety, for, for the pain that he was suffering and, and also to relax his muscles, which were seized and, you know, other medicines that just weren't working. And so this, this guy has hope for the first time. And that to me is just so touching. And we can't come out of the gate and say that cannabis is going to cure these things. You know, we can all get in trouble for saying things like that until the United States has the proof it needs from its sanctioned medical institutes. You know, we've got plenty of research overseas, right? But, but the anecdotal evidence is there. It does help people. And whether it's the placebo effect or not, <laughs> who knows at this point. But if it works, it works. What can you say? Absolutely. Yeah. And if people are, are feeling better, right, and whether it's pain, seizures, autism, nausea, appetite stimulation, people are, are feeling better. And, and, and the importance of, of a healthy mind when you're talking about treating all of these type of conditions um, can't be understated, right? Yeah, absolutely. There, there was a recent experience I had, Snowden, where one of my, you know, one of my two best friends in the entire world, I've known him since I've been... I don't know, nine years old, super close with his family. His mom was diagnosed with, with metastatic uh, lung cancer. She had been a smoker for a long, long time. Um, she had gotten started on a chemo drug, and she was getting to the point where, where she wasn't eating. She was just losing weight, um, having to go in for IV fluids and, and IV nutrition, and it was to the point where they were considering, you know, stopping the, the chemotherapy and they were really sort of worried about, the, you know, the end is closing near. Um, my friend had asked me if I would talk to them. Um, and these are people I've known. They've, they, they've known me my entire life. So um, about as straight laced as could be. The long story short, we, I went over, I talked to her. Um, I explained to her the state program, sort of how the science behind everything works, almost just like one of my patients. And we started her on a medical, medical cannabis regimen, a very gentle one that was non-psychoactive. And we worked our way up sort of to the, the, the uh, preparations that we thought would be the most beneficial. And lo and behold, I, you know, I just got a call and, from them two days ago and talked to her that her appetite's now much, much better. She gained three pounds in the last week. They were able to go out and enjoy a, a dinner and a movie somewhere. Um, so that was probably the most, the most impactful story that I remember recently, right? And it was something as simple. It wasn't like I, we cured seizures. It wasn't like her cancer went away. But the fact that she just felt better and how much it made her family feel better was a complete win. And, 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 and it was sort of a, a profound thing that, 
so, so just the fact of, of helping somebody feel better in and of itself can really be a driving force when you're talking about somebody's treatment plan. And, and I think at this point, you know, there, there, there's no question that the, the medical cannabis can do that um, and it can do so safely, you know. And, it's a, and the question, uh, I get it all the time from doctors or the statement that, there, you know, there's, quote, not enough research. And, and, and usually when that happens, I like to stay, take a step back and say, well, let's really examine that, that, that statement, right? And, 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 and what truly qualifies, quote, enough? end quote, research. Is it, when a doctor says that, is it not enough, not enough research for them personally? Is this a government level? So, so sometimes these generalized statements that I think we make over and over and over again, when we examine them in detail, maybe aren't as true as, as they were some time ago. <laughs> You're right. No, that's, that's absolutely true. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of these pharmaceuticals, while maybe they do have proven effects to reverse certain conditions, they don't make people feel good. So they're not feeling well when they're healing. So yeah, just the discovery of the endocannabinoid system is such a miracle of science and it shows so much promise. And, and I think that that in and of itself has also helped to soften the blow for some people who've been so staunchly opposed, you know, and, and you're right, you know, if they say there's not enough research and you go to pubmeds.gov where a lot of these studies are available for public consumption, you type in the word cannabis, what you even said this once, you come up with like 22,000 studies and, you know, well, some of them are just in petri dishes in a laboratory. Some of them are human clinical studies, all done overseas where there aren't so many restrictions, but it really is quite astonishing how much research there is. And for anyone in, in lawmaking, and they want evidence to support a position of legalizing medical cannabis, all they have to do is go there. So to say that there's not enough research just seems like such an ingenuous statement, yeah. you know, and maybe it's not in NIDA, <laughs> but our U.S. institutions that, that the government puts so much credence in, you know, they're all opposed to it as well, because who knows why? Maybe they're being paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. Who knows what the reason yes. is? But, yeah. you know, it's it, science is science and you cannot dispute facts. So, but yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and, and this is one of those things that are, whether you believe in Darwin or God, um, whatever your, your, your cup of tea or flavor, our body was set up naturally with this endocannabinoid system. Our, our body makes these chemicals naturally. You and I have talked about before, you know, how, how the, the, the body's own endocannabinoid uh, ananamide is, is critical in the process of conception and the adherence of the fertilized egg to the uterine wall. And, and really without cannabinoids, human life as we exist would not, would not be. Um, and, and that's a profound thing to say, but it's absolutely true. And, and we know that. We know that with beyond on the uh, a shadow of a doubt now so and 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 i have a feeling that we're gonna you know as a society we're gonna look back at this in in, in five ten fifteen years whatever it may be and somewhat shake our head and smile that uh, and say boy it, it really it really took us a long time to, to to get with the program and uh and and see see how how beneficial cannabis can be to the the the, the human body and um you know as you and i have said before we've really just scratched the surface of this so it's going to be just just tremendously exciting to see where this goes in the future and how many how many more people it can really help
Yeah, and a lot of people still aren't aware that the human body actually produces its own cannabinoids when it's in contact with food substances that promote that. And a lot of food substances already have some cannabinoids in them. But I'm not sure if it was you or someone else who told me that even mother's milk has is loaded with cannabinoids because the baby needs that to develop its immune system and proper growth responses and protection of the brain and development of the brain. It's pretty astonishing when you think about it. It really is. Absolutely. You're definitely right, Snowden. And and sort of piggybacking off of that, some of the things that we're finding out now is that some of the medications we've been using in modern medicine for some time have, have likely been acting on the endocannabinoid system and we just didn't even know it. I, I think you and I had talked about one time, there's a, there's a, spe- a specific class of drugs called SERMs, or select, Selective Estrogen Reuptake Modulators. And there's been some really interesting research that show that, in fact, these, these drugs act on the endocannabinoid system, and that's partly what gives them their therapeutic properties. When you look up this drug on uh, an Hippocrates or whatever it may be, the physician's desk reference, it doesn't say anything about its mechanism of action having anything to do with, the, with the, its role in the endocannabinoid system. But yet, we found this out in, in retrospect. So if, if we've found this for one class of, of medications that have been around for a long time, how many more actually act on the endocannabinoid system and we don't even know it? So it's, to me, it's a, a really, really interesting thing that, that, that maybe the endocannabinoid system has been helping us out long term and we just didn't even really know it. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty neat thing to talk about. You know what? That is pretty fascinating when you think about it. And what an incredible field of study that would be for someone who had the resources to do it. Um, you know, just to, just to go back and look at some of these drugs that are effective for people and to find out if that really is the reason or not. You know, it's, it, right. it would be a fascinating study, certainly. Yep. I agree. I'd love to do that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It would be fantastic. <laughs> you know, I'd like to read it. And it's interesting that cannabis was once in the, the U.S. pharmacopoeia. And I don't know. Have they added it back? Do you have any idea? You know, it's, that, that's an interesting question. I'd have to go look and, and see specifically if they have. Uh, obviously, if they haven't done it yet, they need to. But you, I, I brought this point up in a recent lecture that, that, that I gave. And really, the, you know, the first slide that I started off with was sort of some, some pictures of vintage cannabis, cannabis products that, that used to be used in modern medicine regularly, right? These, these tinctures and these oils that were used to treat uh, um, pain, uh, anxiety, difficulty sleeping. And they were they were accepted in modern medicine, right? And then and then you had the the change of sort of the the overall feel in our country. And I think you know reefer madness back in the, I think it was the late 30s, and then progressing through there, all of a sudden marijuana took on this this really different sinister light that before that never really existed. And, and this is information that's readily available to everyone. To, to everybody out there. But when you look at the history of our country, um, really, cannabis has been used therapeutically for much longer than it's, than it's been ostracized, right? Um, so, so hopefully now we're, we're getting past that brief period of, uh, of us sort of, uh, I'm calling this the, 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 the the, uh, the 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 bastard stepchild, if you would, you know. Um, so my my, my my hope is that that, that we've pointed that we've got, gotten past that, and we're sort of getting back to the the olden days where this was an accepted treatment uh, in the healthcare system. 
Yeah, even George Washington enjoyed his cup of cannabis tea in the evening. Which <laughs> I found an interesting tidbit. That's in his diary, actually. You know, and, right, right. Yeah. Cannabis was so much a part of the foundation of this nation, and it created so much prosperity for everyone. And it, it was absolutely vital to winning wars and feeding people. Mother's apple pie <laughs> was made with yep. cannabis filling. So we need to get back to that nature too, I think. And, and in medicine, we've come with all of these pharmaceutical drugs that treat symptoms. And interestingly, the cannabis plant treats not only the symptoms, but it helps our internal processes, you know, from what we're learning now. And I mean, the science is just fascinating. It's truly fascinating. So, yeah, it really is. And, and I think we know that, 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 that we, you know, in order for our body to, to function properly or be in, in homeostasis, that, 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 that cannabinoids play a, a, a critical role. Um, and I think that's becoming you know, accepted, you know, and you see, you see with patients really one of the, you know, beyond medical cannabis, one of the things that I see personally in, in my clinical practice, uh, it's different than when I just started now, is that patients are really taking their own health care now into their own hands more so, right? Then that, so that rather than going to the doctor and the doctor telling you exactly what to do and here's a pill, go take this, the, the patients are, 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 are learning of their, what, what's the best treatment plan for me? Um, and really what's the best way for me to go about this, right? And, and then using uh, physicians as a, as a tool or a mediator or clinical provider. So, and I think that's a really, really important thing, not only for, for medical cannabis, but for, for all of healthcare, the fact that, that patients are taking more, more responsibility and a more active role in their own well-being and, and only good things will, will come from, from, from something like that. Well, and I think that cannabis is a good preventative measure. We're finding that people who sustain brain injuries, what they're finding now in some of the study to give more credence to is that a lot of these things are caused by deficiencies. Have you been hearing this as well? Yes, yeah, I, I think that's one of the one of the theories sort of around there that to, to me has been very interesting, right? That that certain people and in certain disease processes and and entities and manifestation of symptoms that they may be related to deficiencies in specific uh, uh, cannabinoids, right? So that, that to me is, is a, very, a very interesting sort of area of study. So that way you can really start to pinpoint that, that, that these measures, as you said, can be preventative, right? So that, that, not, that this can be, um, it's basically supplemental therapy if you look at that way. So we're, we're replenishing where the body needs to be in order, as I said before, sort of function in its, uh, at its optimum capacity uh, in homeostasis. So, uh, and I have, I have, I've had discussions with the few researchers about about that. Um, and it seems like that they're doing, there's more studies being geared towards that now that the, the sort of spe specific consequences of each individual cannabinoid and, and their properties when they're not there uh, in, in high enough quantities, or alternatively, if they're there in too high quantities, right? So, and then what are those effects that, that, that those cannabinoids can have on another one? for example, right? What effect does CBD have on THC or does THC have on CBG and the, the, this, this interaction of them together? Um, I, I think that, that that type of thing is, is fascinating and uh, it seems like a big area where, where research is going into now. Yeah, it absolutely is. 
I appreciate your insights so much, Dr. Donner. Thank you so much for um, joining us today. This has been a really enlightening conversation. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Snowden. I, I always appreciate it. And it's, uh, I think it's tremendous that uh, the message that you guys are able to get out to everybody there. And um, uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Well, you definitely will because you'll be back for our Medical Marijuana Minute. And I know you've been incredibly busy lately. So uh, with the clinics and, um, you know, obviously I wish you tons of luck with the additional clinics that you're opening up. I think it's amazing. And um, in case there's anybody in Pennsylvania listening right now, Compassionate Certification Centers, you've got at least six now, maybe seven and more to come, yep. correct? Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, well, sorry to interrupt yeah, That's okay. So I'll, I'll definitely put some information about that online. And, um, and we have to say thank you also um, for the support. You guys have been fantastic in helping us to get the word out and supporting what we do. And it, it's so appreciated, I can tell you that. So, uh, it's our, it's our pleasure. We, yeah, our pleasure. We, we, we appreciate the opportunity to working with you guys, and we really uh, feel like we have a fantastic relationship with you guys. So we, we, we cherish it as well. It's none to thank you. Thank you. So once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Brian Donner, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. And if you'd like to learn more about Compassionate Certification Centers and the work that he's doing, visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's show. And there I will post information and links to his website. And we have so many others to thank. First, I would like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Alpine Miracle Health Terra and Canisphere. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Eric Goodall for our theme song, Evergreen, our producers and personnel here at The Cannabis Reporter for always making us shine. I'd also like to thank our program directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracle's Nano Emulsion CBD formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com. 
you're busy. Running around from work to kids to evening events, healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra. For only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids, by the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24-7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.